0: Thank you for joining us today on Uptime Logistics, powered by CAP Logistics. I'm your host, Doug Draper, with the Denver Transportation Club and Acme Distribution. We have a couple of guests in today from uh, Los Angeles that are Skyping in. Uh, Pat and Mike Gamble with Mexpress out in California. So, gentlemen, thanks for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you. Absolutely. So our topic is going to be about uh, Mexico cross-border transportation, a little bit about the USMCA uh, rules that have just come into play and really get a better handle of what it's like to move product uh, transborder uh, north and south into Mexico and some of those implications uh, for consumers and, and companies that are involved with, uh, with that level of trade. So one thing we like to do before we really jump into it is learn about our guests. So uh, I figured uh, age before beauty. So Mike, maybe you want to tell us a little bit about yourself kind of how you got in the industry?
1: Well, I started uh, when I was 19 years old. With a company called Yellow Transit, so I uh, applied as a manager uh, when they were going to open up a Fresno terminal, and I kind of cheated a little on my age. Instead of 19, I told them I was 29, <laughs> and they hired me a, a branch manager. Uh, and then in 19, when I was 24 or 25, I opened my own intra carrier in California, uh, and then 21, 22 years ago, we started Express Transportation. In and out of Mexico.
0: Awesome. That's great. So, how many lies did you tell in your career, Pat? Looks like we got one from uh, from Mike over there. Tell us about yourself. Yeah,
2: <laughs> I'm a trucking brat. So I worked, uh, you know, at my father's trucking company as a child. Well, child labor. There you go. Um, and so, out of high school, my spring breaks, winter breaks, that kind of stuff, summer vacations. Um, been doing this trucking thing my whole life.
0: Yeah. Good. So. Cool.
2: Good. I came over to about two and a half years ago.
0: So, talk to us about how things moved in like the 1980s, and and how transborder happens in 2020, and maybe some of the similarities or differences um, that are out there right now.
1: That's a good question. Uh, actually, until the 1994, there was not an LTL structure in Mexico. Everything moved by as full truckload. So they deregulated Mexico in 94. Um, and started a uh, little regional LTL deliveries. Prior to that, anything that would go to the border clear one pallet was a truckload rated
2: beyond. Uh,
1: so today's market, they have a very good LTL system in Mexico, intra-LTL. Uh, the process for the border clearance and the crossing is pretty much identical with the exception of the additional computers uh, electronically tied to the Mexican customs. Mm-hmm. than that it's the same process.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. And we'll kind of get into the actual movement uh, of the freight because I, I like, I'm pretty simple. So I like to say what happens here, here, and here. So we'll get into that in, in a minute. But one thing I was thinking we could do for our audience is talk about maybe some key terminology. You, you know, the the supply chain logistics industry is notorious for for, uh, for acronyms, right? And, and different terminologies. So is there a You know three or four terms that we may be used in the show here that uh we want to clarify so our audience knows when we use them again that we kind of know what they are
1: you want to try that one better you want me to do it you're the better speaker i'm going to shut this thing up okay okay Uh, uh, there's a couple of couple of them one of them is the Makiadora that everybody's heard about Mm -hmm. uh, over the years they're now called and referred to as an imex company and what they are they are a manufacturing company in mexico uh that Brings parts in, does something to them, maybe final assembly or whatever, and then ships them back out. So it's a temporary import, and there's no duties and taxes on a IMEX Makia program. Okay. Uh, I guess the other one would be uh, probably uh, a pedimento. Uh, pedimento is like is like our freight bill. It's what the Mexican broker, when he inspects the product, classifies it, figures out duties and taxes. He issues a pedimento now electronically and pays that to the Mexican government. Mexican government then stamps it, paid, sends it back. It's got the trailer number, it's got the commodities, the value of the product, and that has to be carried by the Mexican carrier to destination. Mm-hmm. Has to be on him at all times, or they'll if he gets pulled over and he doesn't have it, he gets confiscated. Uh, probably definitivo. Uh, that's definite freight. Uh, that's freight that's going to go into Mexico, be consumed, and that will have 16% EVA tax on it. Uh, there could be duties as well, but it will always have 16% EVA tax. Um, and I guess the other one is just uh, real simple, is a Mexican broker. Mm-hmm. And we should go into that a little down the road, you and I or us, uh, because it's the domestic- Mexican broker is completely misunderstood and Nobody understands what his process is, and I think that's a good one for them to know.
0: So that's a temporary inbound and outbound. How long is that valid for? Is it like this? This this uh, uh, is valid to have product come in and be reworked for a day, a week, a month, indefinitely? What's that look like? It
1: depends on the commodities and the the manufacturer. Uh, normally, it's for a year, year and a half. Could be a year, year and a half. The Mexican broker keeps track of everything that's on an IMEX or a Makia program that goes into Mexico and that same product that comes out. So maybe you could only import a million widgets mm-hmm. uh, in a year's period of time. The Mexican broker says, okay, they've just imported 300,000 or 300 total so far. Now they've just exported 300,000, so you can still get your million.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Um, so, one thing about Mexico and, and the international trade in general with all the tariffs, you know, people are talking about what's your plan B and contingency plans because you make your widget over in China or Indonesia or something, and with the tariffs, people are trying to reshore, right, and find new places. Uh, um, you know, to manufacture. So uh, what type of um, commodities or what type of industries uh, are uh, focused in Mexico? You know, because you've got people making, hey, I'm going to make a bag or a shirt, and now I'm going to move it down to Mexico. But I know there's some traditional legacy businesses that are really uh, hone in on on uh, in Mexico. Talk to us about what maybe two or three of those are.
2: Electronics are huge. You know, you've got lots of uh, computers being built down there uh computer racks all you know anything having to do with computers most of the stuff is put together down there in mm-hmm. so, some form or fashion so we're doing a lot of movement of computer products in and out of mexico pro, you know parts in uh finished product out um same thing with automotive i'd say those are probably the two largest. and, aer- and aerospace yeah
0: aerospace. And aerospace gotcha so aerospace would be uh airlines and and manufacturing engines and fuselages and things like that
1: okay. and airplane part and it's pretty much, Mexico's pretty much broken up or segregated by the different areas. The example, of electronics will be mostly in Guadalajara. Mexico, that's where the origin started with them. They're now going over uh, into Caliente, a couple of the electronics company. But the automotive is in what they call a Bahia area, mm-hmm. uh, which is uh, another area that they go to. And your Chihuahua is for more for your aerospace. El Paso.
0: Gotcha. And is that did that just naturally happen because the workforce just has a history with manufacturing there, or or are those different provinces um, unique and provide something different to those industries?
1: No, I think it's more just the workforce, like you said.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay. So let's talk a little bit about um, an actual shipment, right? Uh, Maybe we could use an automotive part um, to kind of have the audience. Understand the different touch points and the documents that flow with it, so we can kind of get uh, get our hands around it. Because there's a lot of, like I said, nomenclature, and it can get kind of kind of confusing on how things work. So let's just say there's a uh, some raw materials uh, for the automotive industry. They're going to go down to uh, be assembled and then come back. And let's just say that that piece originates from Dallas, Texas, right? So walk us through literally the transit time. Like it starts in Dallas and then, you know, where would it go? Where would it cross? And then where does it go to the factory? And then let's kind of backtrack it. So I just gave you a shipment and here's some stuff in Dallas that needs to get down to Mexico for some uh, automotive parts. Walk us through that.
1: Okay. So just, you're going to, we're going to move it by truck and let's say it's going to go to Mexico city Mm -hmm. as an example. Okay. So we would, the normal carrier would make the pickup. Uh, He needs to know who the Mexican broker is for the importer, the consignee in Mexico. He will deliver the shipment uh, overnight from Dallas, as an example, to uh, the Mexican broker's warehouse on the United States side. That Mexican broker will then unload the trailer. He will inspect that product. He will classify it. He will count it. He will make sure everything is, is correct. If it's a IMAX or McKeel program, <clears throat> he'll make sure that those are all, you know, don't have, they're exempt from duties, but if for some reason they needed a computer at that office, he has to inspect that, oh, there's a computer, there's 16% EVA on that, because they're not registered to import that under the IMEX. Uh, once he finishes that, the Mexican broker, he will then commit and do the border crossing himself mm-hmm. with that trailer. Uh, or if what's happening today, it used to be the a lot of the US carriers were providing trailers to go into Mexico. It's changed now, it's the reverse. Uh, so, but let's just say they're going to use the same trailer. So they load it back into the trailer in Laredo, Texas, the Mexican broker does. He crosses it to the carrier, the US carrier's partner in Mexico, and then it's going to take. It's about by a single driver about 28 hours to get from Laredo to Mexico City to deliver the freight. Hmm. So, <clears throat> excuse normal me. Process.
2: That's What's the normal process. That's not our process. That, that's not our process. That's the process as everybody else is doing it today.
0: Gotcha. And that um, at that transport, you got to unload it, inspect it, move it over, reload it, ship it out. Is is that a one-day event, three-day event? to be determined
1: uh, that, that depends on the Mexican broker. It could be, could be four days, could be three days. Uh, it's normally two to three excluding weekends because they're closed on weekends.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. So Pat, you made a good point that that, uh, that's kind of how this traditional LTL model is. And you said yours is a little bit different. So give us a quick snapshot of how you guys would operate that.
2: That same shipment. And it was given to us say if it was dropped at our drop station in Dallas. We would run it we actually have trailers that can go through and don't have to be unloaded at the border so the trailer would go from dallas uh, cross at laredo and then directly to mexico city mm-hmm. where then that next that importer's mexican broker would then do his due diligence or his job it would go to the airport oh i'm sorry yeah at the airport gotcha so um so we're basically leaving dallas if it would say thursday so we would arrive saturday with that freight down mexico city which is interesting because, or two-day transit, yeah, but but interesting because we can get it down there. If if that was crossing on Saturday with anybody else, it, it, it wouldn't that, that would freight wouldn't well. show up. We wouldn't cross on Saturday. Oh, no, because they're closed.
0: Yeah, that's uh, that's so. It's really like you had said at at the onslaught, uh, It's like an airplane. You just uh, cross the border and and go from there. So that's pretty,
1: pretty. And it clears that. Pat just described an LTL shipment. I described a truckload shipment. Mm-hmm. If, when to go this old school by LTL, you might add five six days to my what I told you.
0: Yeah, well, with uh, money tied up in inventory, getting it over there, uh, reassembled or, or manufactured and back, that's that's hard. those days are hard dollars. So I can uh, you know appreciate the fact that you have a. Uh, a quicker transit. So, um, we talked a little bit about, um, or we we want to talk about the the USMCA, right? That's something that's gotten a lot of attention lately. And uh, beyond renaming it from NAFTA to to USMCA, um, it gets a lot of press sometimes, and then it kind of dies down. Uh, talk to us a little bit about your thoughts. On how the USMCA is going to be different than NAFTA, maybe it's not as different as people perceive it to be, and maybe a couple of things that uh, you know our audience, or if you're a shipper, should know about it um, now that it's uh, going to be moving forward.
1: I'm not really that versed in it yet because we haven't seen the whole the whole scenario, but a couple of things. Uh, number one, it made it made us on a more even competitive, even keel. With Canada and Mexico, as far as the goods, the imports, and and taxes and that, mm-hmm. uh, the thing that it really that it really surprised me, and uh, no one's gotten any news hype on it, but the automotive industries in Mexico are paying about six seventy per day to their employees, and one of the things on this program is is that they're going to escalate that, and it's going to end up being sixteen. Dollars per hour for those employees, so that's a huge, that's a huge shakeup for for Mexico. Right. Uh, the other thing that's happened is is that the auto an, a car being built, 75% of it has to have parts that have something to do with Mexico, U.S. and Canada, okay. um, which is about a 12% increase from the old days.
0: Wow. So you said six seventy You mean $6.70? Is that what you meant, that it used to be?
1: Per, per, per day.
0: Per day. And now it's going Not to six, $16 an hour?
1: Per hour. Oh my but God. no one ever said that. You don't see the news media say it. Uh, all we heard was that the president would never get it signed. Mexico will never sign it. Well, Mexico was one of the first to have it signed and ready to come back to us. And we just are... Congress people just messed around with it, our government.
0: Yeah, interesting. So that that's huge. I mean, so as a consumer, you know, I just bought a car that's seventy five percent assembled into Mexico, and the wages of those people putting it together has skyrocketed. Do you see, like, who's going to absorb that cost? Is the consumer going to be spending an extra five thousand dollars on a on a vehicle, or or are those costs going to be absorbed in other ways? What are your thoughts on that?
1: I don't think they're going to be spending it additional. I think what you're going to do is you're going to see people that are in Asia that have been doing this all the time are going to be doing the nearshoring. They're trying to they're they're moving a lot of their plants. Even the Chinese people are moving them to Mexico to be closer to the three of us anyway, Mm -hmm. uh, to the consumer, the three consumers: U.S., Mexico, Canada. Um, China had put about four years ago. Don't hit me on this if I'm wrong. Right timing, but at one time, China didn't charge you for the containers that were leaving China. So we send all the stuff over to China, and then the containers they would just load them and they come out. And now there's a charge. I don't. I haven't checked it recently, but like for every container that ships out of there, besides the freight charges, there's a fifteen hundred dollar charge just for that container.
2: Or there was. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't think with the nearshoring and stuff like that, you're going to see any big change. So oh. Some of the costs will probably come out of the supply chain. I think that's right. what we're thinking. You know, less less distance from the plants. It's nearby here. There's just less cost in the supply chain.
0: Yeah, all yeah, that makes sense. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I'm in the market for a new car next year. So, <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to hold you to it. So, um, may, maybe let's talk a little bit about some new new technologies. Right? I know. Um, and when I say new technologies, we could either talk about uh, technologies related to documentation flow, or maybe there's some companies out there that are trying to uh, improve the, the transit time and, and things like that. Have you seen any new technologies in the last five, ten years, or even thing that, that, that's out in the future that would help, or maybe even have an indirect or uh, unintended consequence to delay things or screw something up?
1: Well, in Mexico, over the last over a lot of years, because their telephone system was so bad, their ground lines, they were really more advanced than us with their cell phones and computers. Believe it or not, hmm. um, because they had to, they couldn't depend on their own electricity and their own system. Uh, so nothing really has changed much, other than the electronics that the Mexican broker is filling out that pedimento at the border. Um, he's now doing that electronically as i said instead of having to type a type of pedimento run it over to mexican broke, you know to the mexican customs get it stamped and bring it back it's all done electronically mm-hmm. um there are a couple of items um we have like we have uh, satellite tracking in our equipment and stuff now so a couple of companies are trying to come out and and testing
2: uh, the satellite stuff that you put the, that you put on the we're at, ourselves we're actually looking at units. We already track the you know we track the tractors. You know we have kill switches. We can do all that great stuff with them. Yeah, I'm concerned to be able to put a good viable product that can ride in a trailer um, and have its own you know jamming you know, uh, jamming blocking capabilities and and give us full visibility to the trailer more than just the tractor. Um, so there's we're dealing with a few vendors right now that might make some sense to do that product. We're just trying to find the right, right one that we know will work the first time. Yeah. Um,
1: but there's some people out there that have the tracking uh, that they can put in the inside the trailer to the boxes. Like yeah. like with us, we do satellite track the tractor and trailer separately, mm-hmm. uh, both of them. And if you open our door on the trailer, you can you know it. But there's about two companies which fairly new that come out to do that in Mexico. Gotcha. The the tracking attached to the freight.
0: Gotcha. What about security when you get south? You know, there's always. Some hype about, uh, you know, the press. Forget transportation. There's always press about security concerns and things happening when when humans or products get south of the border. What type of uh, security systems are in place, or what, even specific to your fleet? You know, you said it's 28-hour drive once you get into to Mexico. Is there anything different that you have to do? Uh, is there like a you know, a guard that travels with with, uh, with your trucks. Talk a little bit about kind of the trends down there related to security on that final mile.
1: Well, what we do is a little different than most people because of security. So as Pat said, we're satellite track. Most people are satellite now today, both tractor and trailer. But we have a kill switch in the power unit, and it's monitored. That unit is monitored 24-7 from the time the drivers are dispatched, get in the truck and dispatch. We also only run the toll roads, which are the pay roads. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And we run team drivers, whereas most of your carriers don't run the toll roads because the U.S. carriers have negotiated the rate down to the Mexican carrier, so we can't afford to run the tolls. The tolls cost us as much as our gas uh, to Mexico City, from, say, Laredo to Mexico City. They're as much as our fuel. Um. Um, So, those type of things are what we do and, and then we'll pick a spot like right out of uh, say Carretero. From Carretero into Mexico City, we will we escort everything to into the Mexico City airport from Carretero, mm-hmm. or from Mexico City to Carretero once we get past Carretero. I think one of the biggest secrets for that we do when that Mexican broker issues the pedimento at the border. He has to have that pedimento has to have the trailer number that is going to be in Mexico. It has to have the commodity, the the value of that commodity in the trailer. Um, and once he hits that button to send that to you to Mexican customs, the cartel, everybody's gonna know that. So that it's a place if if the cartel wants it, they'll say, Oh, look at this. When it gets halfway there, we just grab it because that's the trailer number. And they see every one of them at the border
2: that's declared. Yeah,
1: they oh. get a they have a record because it has to have that trailer number on the pedimento to be in Mexico. With ours, our pedimentos are cut to the airport, so we're going under the radar. We look like we're like we're air freight, mm-hmm. so we're, we're invisible on that.
0: Gotcha. Yeah, that I'm uh...
1: not trying to sell our company on. It.
0: No, Absolutely. no, no, no. That's the whole point of the show is have people understand uh, options and how things are, are developing with, with border transport. So,
2: um, that The best nugget from a security standpoint, yeah. and all the things that they can do on purpose kind of a thing, that turned out to be something we found was a byproduct of our process, Yeah, was basically invisible at the border. So you can take a valuable load and no one else knows it's even going because it's destined for the airport. Yeah, so I
1: guess that's fun now that we're talking about it the Mexican seal, the seal that's put on the trailer at the border that's clearing, can be broken anytime time en route by a police or uh, the military officials. Mm-hmm. And what they normally do, they'll break them, they'll get up inside and pick, yeah, pick a couple things and say, go on your way. They'll check the guy's paperwork to make sure. With ours, ours is a bolt seal by, that's, that's part of our of our transito program to the airport. It cannot be broken by either Mexican custom, or it can only be broken by Mexican custom. It cannot be broken by the military nor by the police en route. Hmm. If there's an issue with that equipment and they want to check it, they have to send the message to the destination airport, because that's the only guy, Mexican customs, that can break our trailer seal.
0: Got it. Yeah. Interesting. Um, talk to us about uh, some future trends, right? We started with, hey, things in 1980 you know, pretty much look the same paperwork wise and, and that nature. Let's fast forward now, five, 10 years out. Is there any, uh, in your opinion, what are some trends that are going to be developing related to uh, cross border transit?
1: I don't think much is going to really change because the Mexican broker is such an important part of the whole deal. And that's they like to be at Laredo because they get their in-and-out charges, their warehouse fees, uh, their border crossing fees for the trailers. I think, if anything, you're going to see more of the liability come off of the Mexican broker mm-hmm. at the border and be shared with the importers of the product. Right now, if that Mexican broker makes a mistake and he doesn't classify it or leaves an extra box, uh, and he gets a red light and he doesn't classify it correctly or there's an extra box that he didn't sell. It could be an empty box. Uh, he could lose his license, which is his old business. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it could take him a year to get it back and it could cost him up to a million dollar fine. Hmm. And I think they're going to start sharing that more with the importers in Mexico.
0: Gotcha. So the the financial liability piece of it, is that when you say liability, because I'm thinking, okay, some guy just lost his job. I don't know how they'd be able to get their job back. Is it more the financial aspect of it? Yes, sir. Gotcha. Gotcha. Good. Well, what are some uh, some resources out there? You guys have been uh, you know, you know doing this trans-border business for quite a long time. Um, what are some resources? If I'm a company and I'm looking to nearshore, and I have questions about, hey, I found the right factory in this part of Mexico, and I want to learn more about. Uh, the process, the rules, the regulations—you know, the tariffs, things like that. What type of, uh, you know, third-party, um, you know, resources are out there uh, for companies to be more knowledgeable?
1: You have Cap Logistics. Uh, I think they're located in your area as well. <laughs> yep, so, yeah. <laughs> but you've got Cap. You've got uh, uh, the Mexican Brokers Association, where you can ask questions. Um, You've got the freight forwarders are getting a pretty good understanding of it. Your international forwarders, um, U.S., um, uh, the local, what do you call it? Yeah, uh, the chamber world commerce. chamber of commerce.
0: Yeah, chamber of commerce. I know that uh, here in Denver, the World Trade Center it does does a lot of work. The World Trade Center Denver does does quite a ber- uh, quite a bit of work in that area. So that's another. Another great resource. So, yeah. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, as far as today, I think we've done a good job of kind of overviewing not only what you guys do and how it differentiates from the competition, uh, but generally some of the terms and and how things flow in in and out of Mexico. I wasn't sure if you had any parting comments or anything else you wanted to add to our discussion before we sign off.
1: I'd like to know why my son
0: didn't input more. (laughs) (laughs) Well, you should have seen all the faces he was making when you were talking. (laughs)
2: <laughs> I know when to let the boss talk. There you go. We really appreciate the time and everything, Doug.
0: Yeah, it's been great. We'll definitely have to get you guys on again. You know, It's going to be yeah. you know, quite a, a roller coaster in evolution as the, as the USMCA comes out, and, and you guys are a great resource in, in that. So I want to thank you as well. And I'd like to thank our audience for joining us today on Uptime Logistics. It's powered by Cap Logistics. We mentioned that a few minutes ago. Uh, you can find more information about the show at the description below. And don't forget to like and subscribe to our channel. And please visit caplogistics.com for all of your customized transportation solutions.